Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The dark is rising from the BBC World Service. The powers of the dark are reaching out now steadily and stealthily all over this world. Find out more at the end of this podcast. As Beijing announces it would reopen its borders next month, travel companies are flooded with bookings in China. But is the world ready for the revenge travel of the Chinese people? Also, we're now in the process of building Bitcoin technology centers all over Africa. It will be grown adults that will come there and we'll teach them the most important things, the things that I wish someone taught me when I was growing up, which is financial education. That's a special year-end edition for you. We find out the highs and lows for the cryptocurrencies in Africa and India. That's all coming up on World Business Report from the BBC World Service. Hello and namaste. I'm Devina Gupta. Holiday greetings to you all. And one man who may need it more than the others is Elon Musk. Because shares of his electric car company, Tesla, took a rough beating on Tuesday. Tesla's share took a dive by over 11% to the lowest level in over two years. The trigger for the latest fall was a report that the company would operate its key Shanghai plant at a reduced capacity during January, which raised fresh doubt about consumer demand. Now, today it has recovered a bit, trading 2% higher as we speak. But to talk about it more, we have Russ Mould, Investment Director at AG Bell, joining us from London. Hello, Russ. Thank you for joining us. It's um, my pleasure, Davina. Uh, so, Russ, could we talk about what's exactly going on with Tesla? Because uh, the price has been actually spiraling downward for some time. They've lost 70% of their value this year. Yeah, and the big fall on Tuesday, firstly, was, was partly prompted by a, a downgrade delivery forecast from a Chinese rival, Neo, another electric vehicle maker, and it blamed disruption in its factories in, in, in China and also weaker demand because of the ongoing COVID situation there. Its shares fell very heavily in Hong Kong and Singapore and dragged those of Tesla and other electric vehicle makers down. So that's the short-term situation, is is the difficulties in China. But longer term, as you said, the shares have been going down really for over a year because Chinese makers have been taking market share, BYD in China in particular. The company's talked about hiring freezes and, and layoffs, and people have bought this this share for growth, not for cost cuts. And it's, it's almost proving to be, dare I say, a mortal, normal car maker doing mm. things that mortal, normal car mm. makers do, like, lay off staff, cut prices to try and stimulate demand in what is ultimately a very mature market. And that meant that in the end, the share price, the valuation that investors were paying to access its its profits and cash flows was just too high. It peaked at 1.2 
trillion dollars. It's still nearly $350 billion, and that's the equivalent of around 20 times forecast profits. Now, if you think you can tell me what Tesla's going to be doing in 20 years' time, Davina, you're a heck of a lot smarter than I am. Well, as you said, it's a mortal car maker's dilemma. It seems like a perfect storm as well, Russell. So next 20 years, perhaps not. But what about <laughs> what's the next step for Elon Musk? People are accusing that he's taken his eye off the ball. He's so obsessed with Twitter that he's not concentrating on Tesla. That's been an additional challenge. Mr. Musk has been selling Tesla shares into a falling market to raise money to fund his acquisition of Twitter and perhaps the company's ongoing losses. He is saying he's going to step down as boss of Twitter. But whether that means he can focus fully again on Tesla, giving everything else he has to do, Twitter, SpaceX, remains to be seen. So that has definitely been another challenge for the company. One, it's maybe proving to be a mortal car maker. Two, Mr. Musk himself is maybe proving mortal after all. Well, that's uh, that's saying something. But thank you so much, Russ, for joining us with all these updates. Now, as we've been talking about the supply chain worries in China, this is something that most of us would identify with, especially as the country is set to reopen its borders from 8th of January. Well, two words, revenge tourism. Many Chinese citizens are grabbing this opportunity to travel abroad after nearly three years of pandemic restrictions. Local travel websites are already seeing a surge in bookings for holidays abroad. And well, this may be good news for global tourism industry, because prior to the pandemic, the number of outbound tourists from China stood at over 150 million in 2019, one of the highest in the world. But there are now concerns of surging COVID infections in China. So many countries, including the US, are now considering imposing new restrictions, new rules for travellers coming from China. Martin Yip, BBC reporter from Hong Kong, has more. We are really talking about some people who are so eager to get out of China for whatever reasons. Major travel online travel agency called Sea Trip has released this figure that searches for outbound travel packages and air tickets and all sorts of stuff had increased tenfold after the the new policy was announced. There's another platform called Tuna, which reported a sevenfold increase just fifteen minutes after the new policy uh, has been announced. So, Martin, essentially, you're looking at a tenfold increase for queries to go out of China. And most of uh, Chinese nationals have been in the country for the past three years. Which are the top destinations that they're looking for? What many would call revenge tourism now? I've got a list here of 10 destinations. We are talking about Japan, Thailand, South Korea, the United States, Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, and the UK. But we are already seeing some sort of backfiring from this opening up by China that Japan has announced, if you might remember just yesterday, that they would test everyone coming into Japan from mainland China. Uh, and we're talking about the more sophisticated PCR test. If you are tested positive, that means you have COVID, you'll be isolated for seven days. So that would be a bumpy road, apparently, for Chinese tourists to hit the road again. Even the U.S. is considering imposing new COVID restrictions on Chinese arrivals. Do you see that this sort of sentiment impacting consumer spending by Chinese tourists? It depends on what, which group of people who are going out. Like those richer people might just uh, look for the best possible opportunity to head out and 
take a break and they will just keep spending like they did in the past. Because, like you said, we are now talking about revenge tourism here. People have been、uh, locked up in their places for weeks, or if not months, over the past three years. But for those poorer people, they might just have to restrain themselves from traveling. Because we also have heard of、um, the economic downturn in China、uh, during this pandemic period. So there are indeed people who. Who have lost their job for for a while, or or their life have been impacted by the pandemic. They might be small business owners. They just can't do their business properly. Even though when there was a period in between the most recent outbreak and before, like China has been in its own bubbles,、uh, people have been traveling freely for a while just within China. But then once the outbreak returns in 2022, they're just a totally different picture. That was BBC's Martin Yip. Now, did you know the United States accounts for one quarter of global economic activity, around half of all cross-border bank loans, and international debt securities are actually denominated in U.S. dollars. So, no wonder then. At a time of the geopolitical crisis in Ukraine, along with the pandemic uncertainty in China that we've been talking about, more and more investors are hedging their bets with investments in dollars, especially in the currency market. And that's why the Bank of Central Banks, the Bank for International Settlements, is now asking global hedge funds and pension funds to be more careful. BIS head of monetary department Claudio Borio tells us more. It plays an important role in the international monetary and financial system because it's a key instrument to hedge foreign exchange risk. But in the process of、uh, hedging this foreign exchange risk, it generates liquidity risk, and it is important to be aware that this liquidity risk is there, and this liquidity risk can be big, and this liquidity risk can materialize and amplify stress in financial markets. When at times of a global global、uh, dollar shortage, do you see the global dollar borrowing going up in the coming months? I mean, in the coming months, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, what what we do see is that this market has been growing、uh, a lot over the last、um, decade or so, and that the it has been growing faster. Than、uh, the on balance sheet、uh, dollar borrowing, and this our best interpretation of the reasons for this is that there has been a big、uh, increase、uh, in the size of the non bank financial intermediation sector, the pension funds, the insurance companies, the asset managers, and they actively use these instruments in particular in order to hedge. Their foreign exchange risk, but also, of course, for position-taking purposes.、Mm. But what's the result of this for central banks around the world? In this case, because the dollar is the dominant international currency, they will have to inject dollars, and that that is why the the Fed effectively lent to other central banks. In fact, using swaps in turn. Uh, lent to other central banks, which in turn then used the dollars to provide、uh, funding to those that needed it in the market. From your report, does it seem that there could be a global dollar shortage as well, given that we are looking at fears of a global recession at the moment? 
let's put it this way i mean it, it is not possible to sort of map the uh, the severity of a recession into a dollar shortage i mean there are many many factors that come in in between what the point of the of the piece that we wrote is to say that if for whatever reason you do get a dollar shortage and the the global financial uh, uh system comes under some stress then the fx swap market is going to be a key pressure point and a a market that can actually amplify stress in the mm-hmm. system what does it mean claudio for those hedge funds especially also pension funds which invest in this market it simply means that they will be facing more liquidity uh, liquidity risk in their operations and this is what we mean by short uh, by liquidity risk i mean an implication of all this is to be fully aware that uh, the institutions are running some uh, liquidity risk and include this in, in their risk management uh, procedure that was uh, claudio borio of the bank for international settlements now on world business report this week we are talking about all things crypto it has to be one of the most hotly debated topics of this year should you or should you not invest in crypto so in this edition we take a look at the crypto markets in africa and india our first stop is central african republic which also has its own government backed crypto token the sango coin here's what some people from car told us je suis vianney prince bwanga i am prince viani bwanga i know people who use the cryptocurrency in our country I also use it. Maybe it's in the hinterland that people don't know and don't use it. I believe that with time and with the fiber optic that is being put in place in the whole country, people will be able to understand what the Sango coin is all about. And believe me, they will be interested in Sango coin because it is a project in progress and a promoter that can boost the national economy. because considering the small experience i have with bitcoin it allows me to make transactions and purchases with sango coin on the national level a civil servant can collect his salary just with his cell phone and from there he could make his purchases in other cities of the country and even in the world this is a promising project c'est un projet prometteur je m'appelle danga edgar moi je suis motoman my name is danga edgar i'm a motorbike rider here in bibo but i don't agree with this story about the cryptocurrency you know that there is no internet in many parts of our country not everyone has access to the internet Someone like me I don't even have access to the internet connection so how can I use cryptocurrency for me I want to use only CFA France I don't agree with the story of cryptocurrency Je m'appelle Lisa Jurel Chloé Je suis une élève de la classe de terminale My name is Jurel Chloé I'm a student in the final year of high school in Bangui I've often heard about cryptocurrency but I don't know what it is I would like to take this opportunity to ask the government to go and raise awareness in the different schools or in the neighborhoods so that central africans know what cryptocurrency or sango coin is all about yes sango coin so you've got a little bit of flavor of uh, how the central africa is looking at cryptocurrency However in the West Africa the best African country uh, Ghana recently hosted the Africa Bitcoin conference a first for the continent 
And in the days that followed, the Ghana Bitcoin Technology Center opened, funded by the BUILT, which is the foundation, uh, which is the Bitcoin Foundation, which is a US-based humanitarian organization funded by Paxful, a peer-to-peer crypto exchange. The aim is open to teach uh, people of all ages how to use Bitcoin. My name is Yusuf Nasari. I'm the director of philanthropy and co-founder of the Built with Bitcoin Foundation. In the year 2017, I was raising funds for a very significant project in my mother country of Afghanistan. And we saw a contribution come in to the organization. It was a very significant amount, but it was flagged by the financial platform that we were using as potential fraud. What was necessary and needed at the moment was for me to reach out to this potential donor, first and foremost, thanking them for their contribution, but then also asking them if there was another form of payment that they can make. Uh, The person on the other side of that email responded with one line and said, do you accept Bitcoin? And I had absolutely no idea what Bitcoin was at the time. And the person on the other side of that email was Ray. Hey there, I'm Ray Youssef. I'm one of the founders of Built With Bitcoin. I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. My parents left Africa when I was two years old to go to New York City for the promise of a better life. It was a typical immigrant dream as hard as it was. And every venture that I do, giving back is it's part of our journey from day one. So when you look at Bitcoin and how it manifests on the streets of the global south, Africa, for example, there are really two main use cases. The first use case is as a store of value and in, and in markets that are ravaged by inflation, Bitcoin often provides a far better store of value than their local currency. Nigeria is a great example. In the 80s, one Naira was equal to was worth more than a dollar. And now it's going to a thousand to one. So Bitcoin, even as volatile as it is, does a much better job for securing and preserving their wealth. But the second use case is actually the biggest one. And it's a, it's a solution to the biggest problem in the world, the problem I call economic apartheid. The reason the global South is poor is because their money has been kept in a prison. They can barely make a payment to the country next door. They're better off carrying a suitcase full of cash. There's 2,000 payment networks in Africa, and only 2% of them talk to each other. And that's the plight of Africa. But Bitcoin allows them to almost have a kind of universal translator and transporter of money. They can seamlessly jump across borders. And with any two peer-to-peer transactions, they can basically turn any form of money anywhere into any other form of money anywhere. We are here opening the first Bitcoin technology center in the first nation in Africa that declared its independence. My name is Philip Ajasare. Uh, from Ghana, and I'm the founder of Blockchain Foundation Africa. Bitcoin payments uh, in Ghana here, due to the uh, inflation and the dollar rate against the Ghana city, the Ghana city is dropping badly. And people have really thought that no, Bitcoin is the best place for them to save their currency and also to send money out of the country. We use Bitcoin as a form of payment money. And I think the Western countries use it as a form of investment. And we're now in the process of building Bitcoin technology centers all over Africa. So it's not just, you know, young children up to 13. It will be grown adults that will come there and we'll teach them the most important things, the things that I wish someone taught me when I was growing up, which is financial education. But from financial education to financial regulation, because that's another big debate when it comes to cryptocurrencies. 
Dr. Eva Salami is coordinator of the University of East London Centre for Fintech. And she says it's also been a year where cryptocurrencies like Terra, Luna and FTT have collapsed, which means regulation is needed. Interestingly, actually, um, since the collapse, there has been a, if you like, a, a flat rate or shall I say move to the right in terms of numbers not actually decreasing, but actually people using it more as a mechanism to effect payments. And so I suppose this sort of takes us to the question of, you know, how do people actually use crypto assets in various countries? In Africa, it's predominantly used for payments and remittance, much less the case as an investment, whereas in advanced markets such as the US and Europe and some Southeast Asian countries, they're much more looked at as financial assets. That's an interesting insight. Could you explain to us, uh, is it because of the high inflation of the local currency that uh, people are shifting to cryptos for payments and remittances? Yes, because of the history of the fiat, the weak fiat currencies that these countries have, particularly in countries like Kenya and Nigeria, which have been the result of long-term debt crises, long-term high inflation and the like that have impacted the fiat currencies and the value of the fiat currencies. The idea of investing in a currency that guaranteed some sort of inflation proof such as Bitcoin was tempting to use. So yes. When it comes to regulation of cryptocurrency then, uh, do you see challenges in different African countries? You can't talk about Africa as a continent, but when you talk about smaller countries there, overall, do you see regulations in different countries in Africa easing to pay away for cryptocurrencies or are they tightening? So I would say really, rather than easing, we're seeing a tightening. So in South Africa, for example, I think around about last month or in October, there was this, again, introduction by the Financial Services Commission there that actually crypto assets will now come under the financial services legislation, basically bringing crypto assets under the remit of regulation, which previously wasn't the case. And again, the whole idea around this approach taken was to ensure really that investors are protected because they've been huge suffering, if you like, huge losses suffered by South African investors investing in crypto assets. Mm. And of course, we know that quite a few African countries are also, as most other countries in the world, seeking to introduce their central bank digital currencies. I mean, I I was literally coming to that because um, we've seen countries like Nigeria coming out with their own digital currency, e-Naira. Have you seen e-Naira take off in that sense, the way cryptocurrencies attract investors? So they, they, we were seeing quite uh, interesting developments happening with, with the e-Naira, not just only the e-Naira, for example, the sand dollar. So the very, the, the very, the very first uh, ever cryptocurrency, particularly in a developing market, that came about was the sand dollar of the Bahamas. And with that, we're seeing ve- quite a minimal uptake. So according to a very recent publication of the IMF, in May of this year, it found that the sand dollar accounts for less than a tenth of a percent of Bahamian dollar in circulation. Basically, really, slightly over 400,000 citizens use the sand dollar. So the uptake hasn't been great. 
That was Dr. Eva Salami of University of East London. Let's move now to India with this conversation of CBDC or Central Bank Developed Cryptocurrency. India has been testing with one such CBDC called A-Rupee or Digital Rupee. And development economist Dr. Aruna Sharma, who's also former member of India's Central Bank, the RBI, has been part of the efforts to introduce CBDCs in India, joins me for more. It's your own money on which you have already paid the tax. If I put 10,000 there, the 10,000 will remain 10,000. It will not be a rupee less. It will not be a rupee more. So uh, buying a CBDC, putting in a wallet, no attraction at all. But for the wholesale, it's a big advantage to the RBI. They save a huge amount of money in printing these notes and floating these notes through the bank's intermediaries to the people. So RBI, again, is the Central Bank of India. But here's the question then. Uh, Right now, India is not digitally well-connected, especially in its rural areas. So what are the challenges that you see in people accepting e-rupee and people being able to use e-rupee? See, as in digital payment, you must have seen the smartphone population is still 50%, right? 50% is feature phone. So it's not possible, right? But... Digitally, the money is getting transferred in their account, whether it is from government to person under welfare schemes or it is there any other transfer. They've sold the land or purchased the land or sold their product. They are getting it in their account and they are getting the messages in the SMS. So they are not into the payment part of it, but they are using debit cards because the POS machine has penetrated deep. CBDC will not go unless until the smartphone multiplies. But is it possible to track tax evasion once the central bank uh, digital currency is introduced because right now it's in a testing phase? When there is a cash payment, no trace, no trackable. And CBDC, where they are talking about anonymity, they are saying we will not track it. But there will be a digital footprint. So in future, anytime any inquiry by authority with proper permission without intruding into the privacy is required, I'm very sure it can be tracked. But you've been part of a lot of conversations around digital currency at uh, the Central Bank of India as well earlier. But uh, where does it put the cryptocurrency legalization conversation on the map in India? See, crypto will never be a legal tender. Let that be very, very clear. Crypto will not be banned in India. That is also very, very clear. But taxation regime is there. The dialogues are on with the government to reduce the taxation of 30% on the gains when finally you sell off your crypto because this kind of a heavy taxation is not going to be there. Without waiting for the regulation, you will find that the crypto exchanges, they are on their own now gone back to drawing board. And you have found that KYC has been made mandatory, anybody investing, so know your customer. Then what they are doing is now they are coming with the products which are safe, secure, and more trustworthy. So the regulations are definitely under the discussion phase and they are going to come soon. But with this taxation corrections, I think it will take off again because it's an option for savings. Development economist from India, Dr. Aruna Sharma. And we continue talking more about crypto this week. Here's a taste of what's to come. So I think that the reason there are so few women in the crypto sector is more of a societal issue as opposed to a specifically crypto bro mentality issue. 
just even in the past four or five years, I've seen a really steady increase of women. So I don't think it's a fully fair statement to say there is no women in crypto. So be with us. See you next time. The dark is rising. The walker is abroad and the rider is riding. The Dark is Rising is the podcast from the BBC World Service, adapting Susan Cooper's classic fantasy novel into an immersive 3D audio drama for all the family. What is this place? Everything had changed. On his 11th birthday, Will discovers that he's part of an ancient line of magical beings. You were born with a gift and a purpose. You are one of the old ones. The first to have been born for 500 years and the last. Guardians of the Lights engaged in a battle with the forces of the dark. The dark, the evil, surging and surrounding them. He must find the talismans of power needed to hold back the growing strength of the dark. The gift is a burden, Will. Can Will complete his quest? The fate of the world depends upon it. For the dark... The Dark is Rising. The Dark is Rising from the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts.